0: Always. Ooh. Right yeah. over my look over here. Oh. Yeah, uh huh. Jah bless I with the brightest light, and I a shine upon the you them blind. God, we dey of suffer truth and right. They of suffer the truth and right. And until the day that my soul takes flight, Babylon will hear my voice. God, with dey a suffer truth and right.
1: Welcome to another episode of Checkmate, a political podcast on Tenement Yard Media. You can follow us on Twitter at Tenement Yard underscore, and you can visit our website at www.tenementyardmedia.com. I'm the host for this episode. My name is Paige, and in this episode, we'll be speaking with Roshana Trim. Um, Roshana is a youth development specialist a consultant in the prime minister's office in Barbados and the president of the Barbados Youth Development Council. Um, Thanks for joining me, Arshana. Thanks a lot for having me. So come November 30th of this year, 2021, um, Barbados is poised to become the fourth Anglophone republic in the Caribbean, following behind Guyana, Trinidad and Tobago and Dominica. For persons who have no idea from a governance perspective what does Barbados as a republic mean?
0: Okay, so that's a really good question, I think, to that. Um, so currently Barbados is a constitutional monarchy, and what that means is that even though we are an independent country, um, the Queen has limited power, the rights from the constitution, and is still our head of state. And so and so the Power of actually governing is at is still vested in our elected officials. Um, when we become a republic, it's going to place elevate a Barbadian to the status of head of state. And at this point in time, it's been voted on that our current governor general, um, Dame Sandra Mason, will become the head of the president of Barbados. Um, what it means is that now. Barbadians see themselves in the leadership of Barbados. Um, we mm-hmm. are able to direct, and it it completes the circle of of enfranchisement from being not able from not being able to vote to being able to vote to being able to govern, and now being able to s- pledge allegiance not to the Queen and to her heirs, mm-hmm. but rather to um, Barbados and to make that commitment to our country. So we're no longer tied by a like colonial linkages in the way that we have been since independence.
1: No, thank you for that. Because I think a lot of people, even living in the Caribbean, um, in countries like Barbados currently and in Jamaica, people are not aware of the current setup. Because we are independent nations, um, people are not necessarily aware that the Queen is indeed our head of state and that, you know, that matters for. Um, not necessarily from a governance perspective, just um, from the perspective of the people living in this country mm-hmm.
0: and what it means to be the head of your own state. So I was going to say, you know, there's a, a level of there's this a huge identity to me that is wrapped in the ability to see in your leadership and in your head of state someone who looks like you and to be able to aspire to that. And so we don't we don't notice because we vote for. Prime ministers and members of parliament and those different things and so Mm -hmm. we think that once we do that because we see the day-to-day activity of of governance being done by persons that we have elected and who are jamaican or who are barbadian then it's kind of like okay we we are in charge but there's something very symbolic and significant at this point Mm -hmm. in time as a young black woman who from barbados in seeing a woman who would have walked the same streets as i did who went through the same school system for her to be able to be the head of of barbados in 2021 and the importance of just dismantling um the remnants of colonialism that still exist in post-colonial states like barbados and jamaica many countries across the region
1: No, yeah absolutely um Will, will Barbados be joining other countries um, with an official name change? So, for example, um, becoming, quote, the Republic of Barbados, similar to the Republic of Guyana
0: or the Republic of Trinidad and Tobago? So our prime minister has indicated that we will not. Um, Barbados is perfectly fine, so we'll remain Barbados. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there won't be a significant change in, in much things as it relates to um, names.
1: Okay. Um, a bit earlier, you were talking about, um, you know, Sandra Mason becoming the the president possibly and just the, what that symbolizes for you. And, you know, this woman would have walked the same streets as you said and been through the same education system. Can you talk a bit more about the the changes socially that you um, will see and or are anticipating to happen socially? I, I was watching an interview where um, Prime Minister Mia Motley mentioned that it's important for young people to see that they can be in charge of their own country
0: and and to be the head of state of
1: their own country?
0: Yeah. So first and foremost, I believe that a lot of the change that we are going to see um, aren't the tangible things that people might expect Um, Mm -hmm. as it relates to, like I mentioned before, the symbolism and that feeling of empowerment and enfranchisement that it provides, that breaking away. Um, and so, to me, it speaks very loudly to crafting a 21st century Barbadian identity. But socially, um, I think those greater changes are going to come in the constitutional amendments because we've, the government has taken the route of first making the switch to republicanism and then um, re amending the constitution and reviewing the constitution and making those changes. And so, those things being able to craft a document that is grounded in what the 21st century Barbadian looks like, who they are, um, the rights that should be allocated to them simply by virtue of being Barbadians is, is very ser- is very important. Um, so, for example, we have laws that encourage and allow for a level of discrimination against subsections of Barbadians, and so we are talking about whether whether um advertently or inadvertently. So I mean we mm-hmm. know about the buggery laws across the region. Um yep. we the bill of rights that has been attached to the constitution isn't as extensive as you would like it to be in the 21st century. So focusing very heavily on the rights of minorities and being very clear about that. Um because what you want to do in moving on is create a more democratic and a more inclusive society and so i think the event that is november 30th becoming a republic is very minuscule as it relates to social change but the Mm -hmm. constitution the drafting of a the reimagining of the Barbadian constitution is going to be where you see the fundamental social changes and Recognition of people for who they are and who Barbadians are and who we aspire to be.
1: No, and I think that these, I think a lot of a lot of people may think, oh well, you know, they're symbols. Why change them? But we know symbols matter, and they they matter to little children. They matter to adults, even. Yeah. They really, they really, really do matter. And you, you know, and I'll, I'll be really honest. I think you're living my dream as a as a Jamaican who watches Parliament open and our police officers are in. Suits and gloves, and almost every year someone passes out because our climate is not suited for that kind of outfit. just something as even simple as what people wear to parliament is it it comes from a colonial legacy. We live in the tropics i don't understand why people are wearing suits and ties with lungs like it are ju- I know you're sweating, I know you are I'm sweating looking at you um and you know something as simple as the people in the justice system are still wearing that white wig for the life of me. I can't understand. What that is and why we do it. Um, you know, I recently found out that the crest on our Governor General's um, pin, and I'm assuming Governor General pins around the world, is it 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 depicts a white angel stepping mm-hmm. on the neck of a black angel. There are lots of symbols yeah. that we we use and we look at. And you mentioned the laws, and those are extremely important. Some of these laws are from the 1800s, mm-hmm. and the people who are currently in charge of these countries who are largely black people wouldn't even have been free when these laws were created. So you think about the history of that and it's really ridiculous that we kind of have just inherited these laws and, oh, okay, this seems, you know, this seems good. And we just move on with them as if they, you know, and they don't really reflect, as you said, a 21st century Barbados or a 21st century Mm -hmm. Jamaica they, they are a legacy of a much darker time when people that looked like you and I were not in charge of ourselves.
0: Exactly. And, you know, we often say representation matters. And it's such a, I feel like in the, right now, in the space that um, first, the Caribbean is in and in this space of disruption, because COVID has been disrupted. It's so important that we dismantle a lot of the things that we have kind of accepted as normal. And we have accepted this very European European concept of respectability and of decency and professionalism that ignores Absolutely. the reality of, of Black Caribbean people. I mean, you still yeah. have cases where persons are being asked to cut their locks to yeah. um, go into... Certain establishments are working certain jobs. I have lots currently, but I had natural hair before. And even the comments about how unprofessional natural hair is, um, how we treat to young men who have beards in schools, how we expect that, like you said, persons will show up in a suit um, in, in a hot climate, you know, and just how we how we just talk about ourselves, even the conversations that we have. And I feel very strongly last year, Barbados or was it this year? Everything kind of merges during COVID, you know, everything is kinda of together. Yeah. But Barbados removed the statue last year. Um through advocacy, we took down this dismant- took down the statue of Horatio Nelson who was a who was um, anti abolitionist. And the reason that, that was so important was no the statue wasn't necessarily doing anyone anything. It wasn't blocking a view, but it was placed in Hero Square, Parliament Square in Barbados. And to have someone who said that he would rather die than see um, slaves be free, the enslaved be free, says to us that we, have, we are comfortable with those things. We still offer glory and space and adoration to certain things. And so in, in making these steps, you know, we often say, you know, this is not an important matter where we focus on these things. But in making these steps towards, um, dismantling, separating ourselves from our colonial past, to so reimagining um, Caribbean countries that are not steeped in um, racism and yeah. steeped in inequality based on class lines, which is very connected to race. It means that we can now tell our children that this country is theirs, that they can be anything that they want to be when historically we have been told that we belong someplace very specific or in specific places. And so that is why this is important. And that's why I feel like leaders across the Caribbean need to invest in this, in a, in a consciousness of, of people. Because when people become aware of how they can do better and how they can improve and develop and aid development, then it opens an entirely different level of development. And I think that this is one of the best ways to start doing that. Cause this is like one of the most fundamental things that you can fix. And it's an easy fix. It's a low-hanging fruit. Switching from a, a constitutional monarchy with a queen as a head of state and believing that they are benevolent and they assist us in the same and, and even the badge that you were talking about on the uniform, like the symbolism in that that black people had to be saved by a white angel a white savior that in itself is troubling and so we don't need anyone to save us because we can and we will if we take the chance and so that is why for me I'm super proud of the path that Barbados has taken at this point in time no
1: yeah I think even as other people in uh, in islands that are still constitutional monarchies, we look at Barbados with pride, you know, and it's like, wow, you know, this another one goes right, you know, we're we're getting there slowly but surely. Hopefully, the entire Caribbean um, adopts that attitude. Yeah. So, Barbados is undertaking a month-long celebration to commemorate the republican status in the country, um, and even with COVID nineteen still being an issue, um, what are
0: these month-long celebrations? So there ha- it hasn't been publicized a lot what the celebrations are. And, you know, we are in November, quickly approaching November 30th. Um, I do know that because we have independence on November 30th, which is the same day that we transition. There's going to be the usual parade. Um, mm-hmm. I I am not sure if we're going to convey the new national honors as well at this point in time. Um, so we're still waiting to hear what the fall celebrations. Are going to be as we transition and um we're hoping that because we recently had our curfew extended to 12 o'clock um that we'll be able to hear a lot more of those, so that all Barbadians can kind of parties can participate in the celebrations as we transition
1: no yeah thank you um What's the I'm interested in what the mood is like among citizens over the soon to be Republic status. Just what's the general mood among, you know, the, the average Barbadian?
0: So since we've heard about it, um, there's been two sentiments. One is would be persons who are very excited about it. Um who believe that this is a way for us to start a new discussion, to talk about national identity, um, to complete the circle of enfranchisement. The father of independence, the late Arrow Walton Barrow said that we should not linger on colonial premises for too long after independence. And we've been lingering for 55 years. And so at this point in time, we're kind of walking off of colonial premises. Nobody's loitering anymore. Um, so there's some people who are very excited. But one of the challenges with this transition has been, it was indicated that this was the plan, and then it happened. Um, and there's been an attempt to do a lot of education. There's been an attempt to um, get persons involved in the process. We've had discussions, um, town hall discussions facilitated by the Republican Transition Committee. Um, we've seen, like, some organizations have been posting about what it means to, um, the Barbados Development Council has done, as well as University of West Indies, they've been doing webinars and sessions, um, top panel mm-hmm. discussions, those different things to discuss republicanism. However, one of the challenges is that persons have kind of, one, persons have started to push the idea of a referendum. So persons believe that we should have had a referendum for this to be more democratic. Um, some persons believe that the transition was too quick and we should have done the constitution first before we um announced or did the transition so they feel as though we've put the cart before the horse um and some persons generally don't care to them this is a small inch issue it's not that important it's much ado about nothing whether or not republic we become a republic or not they still have to go to work and so it, it's kind of divided as you would at, expect um mm-hmm. there's been no there, there hasn't necessarily been a and outcry uh, against it but what has been clear is that many persons who oppose it may not fully understand the the reason what it means and so for example we had instances where persons would say you know if you become a republic um you're going to lose financial support from britain but we don't receive financial support from britain and they're not sending yeah. us a check every year um, exactly you're going to leave the Commonwealth. This is also false because Barbados is one of, there are only 16 Commonwealth realms existing, and this would be countries that are independent, but who the queen is still the head of state. Um, And so Barbados is one of 16, and we'll be leaving to become a republic. So republics do are in the Commonwealth. Um, So that in no way impacts us. There's no impact on, multilateral or bilateral agreements because of this it does not impact our presence at any of the um, the global bodies there is there's nothing that the shifting of governance from the queen as has a state to a barbarian as a head of state does not radically change our positioning in the global space and the global political space specifically and so a lot of misinformation has been shared Um, and then there's the usual political back and forth that sometimes happens that does a lot more harm to discussions like this than good
1: oh yeah i think that there because just even in my research for this interview i was watching um, a couple videos i guess uh, a local news team in barbados was reaching out to just you know the average person on the street and it was a lot of misinformation. Uh, I heard people saying, oh, well, what if a hurricane happens again and we won't be able to get aid? And it's, you know, these things are not, not th- th- there really is no correlation between being a republic and, and getting aid or someone mentioned the IMF and it's like, mm-hmm. that's not free money. Like that's <laughs> money that we have to pay back. Like I hope people are not of the understanding that the IMF is giving out things for free because they absolutely don't. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, I mean, come November 30th, Barbados becomes a republic with a woman as its president, Sandra Mason, and a woman as its prime minister, Mia Motley. There's also other women who are at the helm of affairs in the country. Um, Donna Bab-Agard is the director of public prosecutions and Dr. Sonia Brown, who is the deputy speaker of the House. Still, with all of this, in the words of Dr. Cave Hill, researcher, Dr. Sandra Springer, the optics of female leadership seems encouraging, but society is still very patriarchal, and the political landscape is far from being gender balanced. Women's political participation largely involved casting votes, and there was a dearth of women's involvement in other levels of the political process, mainly in the decision-making levels. You serve as the project manager at Pink Parliament which serves to ensure that girls and women are inspired to take up space in historically male dominated arenas, such as politics. Can you talk more about Pink Parliament and the work you all are doing and hope to continue doing in the future?
0: So definitely. um, So across the world, it is accepted that women are underrepresented in politics, Um, especially in the Caribbean. um, We know that if there's a parliament of 30, um, usually less than half are are women. And the challenge for that is that oftentimes women's issues are seen as a low politics. And what that means is that it's not a, a topic that comes up with a sense of urgency to a great extent. And I know that in Jamaica, there's the same challenge because there's been a lot of conversation about gender-based violence. There's been a lot of discussion about the way women are treated and Mm -hmm. harassment and assault and those different things. And so the question has always been, why are these things not important if 50% of your population are struggling with it? And so representation matters. And that's what Pink Parliament focuses on. The fact that women are generally not driven towards politics because we are often held to a different measure than our male counterparts. And the expectation of women in politics is very different. But also because of socialization, we come to we associate politicians with very specific characteristics. And those are usually characteristics that we associate with men. Yeah. And so what Pink Parliament seeks to do is to assist young women between the ages of 14 and 20 to stand in their power and stand in their space and to venture into politics not only fully understanding the what what the political arena entails and how to navigate it and to do so fearlessly but also the issues that are confronting women that challenge and stimulate our development as it relates to things like gender-based violence sexism um and the pink tax period poverty mm-hmm. those are the things that need to be addressed because for example in barbados a study showed that predominant 60 percent of in 2016 it was showed that 60 percent of all persons under the poverty line um 60 of those households are headed by women and that means that poverty has a feminine face to it and because we know the challenges of, of poverty because we understand that in barbados mostly households are female headed um it, it demands that we address these challenges, but it requires a gendered lens and Pink Parliament assists girls with providing a gender lens and through education and mentorship. So we ensure that they're able to engage with persons who are already in the political arena, who have already been doing the work. So we've even we've spoken to um, the Kamina Johnson-Smith as well as Lisa Hannah. They've taken part in um, our cross-country dialogue because it's so important for us to also understand how different countries um, have very similar issues and how we are working to address those. And so Pink Parliament seeks to ensure that young women feel a bit more confident and comfortable going into politics um, because they're now able to speak. And in, if you if you don't want to do that, then you're also able to just simply speak up about issues and share information about how we can address challenges confronting women.
1: Oh yeah and I yeah. think it's extremely important especially in the in the Caribbean. I, my bachelor's degree is in political science and I remember telling this to my family and everybody being extremely concerned for my marriageability because I studied politics <laughs> and I just thought it was ridiculous because if I was a boy and I told you I studied politics you'd be happy, you'd be elated, you'd be excited. You know and I think you look at the regardless of what side of the aisle you're on in either countries in the Caribbean, you look at the people who are deemed great politicians. They're all men. They're almost all men. Um, And I, for one, am an admirer, a fan, if you will, of Mia Motley, because I think that not just her leadership, but just her and what she, you know, being a woman, doing what she does, um, navigating the international space, especially, the way she does, I think is extremely important for young girls in the Caribbean to see that as a representation of what politics
0: can look like. Definitely. Um, and and that's one of the things as well, you know, that discussion about what women can do and what men can do. So, for example, one of the questions that female politicians often say they hear is, what happens to your children? Who's taking care of your children? But nobody asks that of their male counterparts, because we have been socialized to believe that women will take on the caretaker role um, within the household. And so we, we we view women in a very different light. So their association to men, marriage and maternity is how we view them. And as soon as you depart from that, in some way, you kind of seem to have given up some sense of your womanhood. Um, and that's one of the things that we're combating, you know, trying to t- engage girls in knowing how to say no and it be a complete sentence in recognizing that you can do anything you want to do regardless of your gender because that is not some kind of disability and that is one of the things that we have to confront and recognize and and strongly address because one of the things that we know from COVID is that care leadership matters and I I don't like The term care leadership because it once again associates women with care work. But compassion matters in politics. And women tend to be more compassionate. But what we see as compassion, people often label as emotional. So Mm -hmm. Prime Minister Motley has been in politics since she was 25. This is over 25 years, I believe. And in the last election, people were, persons were asking questions like, is she ready to be prime minister? But she was one of the members that has been visible in politics for the last year, and she's done amazing work. And it wasn't a question of whether or not she was qualified based on the work that she had done previously, but it was really based on her gender. So are we ready for a woman to be prime minister? Is a woman ready to be prime minister? And that in itself says that we, if we say no, if we answer no to that, then 50% of our population is disqualified. And... Mm-hmm. The last thing that really comes to mind, because you mentioned, you know, um, your questions about your marriageability, when we did it, I I was with the, I did a workshop, an activity with the U.S. Embassy, Women in Politics Leadership Institute, they launched it last year, and in one of these sessions, we had a follow-up with Ambassador Elizabeth Thompson from Barbados, Um, And she was also in the same poor heart as the current Prime Minister of Barbados. And she said that if you look around, successful women in politics rarely have children, and very few of them are married. And that to me was food for thought, because almost every man that I know who's had a successful political career was married and did have children. And so to me, it begs the question, what is the difference? why do i have as a woman if i wish to enter politics why do i have to sacrifice a family in order to give back to my country in that manner and that in itself that's some things that we need to interrogate and i believe strongly address because i I don't think it's it's correct that we are still navigating these kind of things in countries Mm -hmm. that are talking about gender equality and being future futuristic and building back better and all those things it really is unacceptable
1: no, yeah. And I think that it is very poignant that it is a woman that is leading this charge to, to become a republic. I think that it's, um, it shows that you know, women are capable of the kind mm-hmm. of revolutionary change, if you will, that, men, that we've, accu- we've been accustomed to, to men doing in the past in the Caribbean. Definitely. Um, well, thank you. Um, and thank you for your time. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you so much for having me. It was really great to be here. And thank you for reaching out.
1: Yeah. Um, this has been another episode of the Checkmate Political Podcast by Tenement Yard Media. Don't forget, again, to check us out on social media at Tenement Yard underscore. And that's on Twitter and on our website at www.tenementyard.com. And don't forget to share the podcast with a friend. Always. Always.
0: Yeah. Right over my over here. Oh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Judge a eye with the brightest light. And I a shine upon you, them blight. God, we dare a for truth and right. Dare you for truth and right. And until the day that my soul takes flight, Babylon will hear my voice. God, we dare a for and lies? Right.